Blockbusters at the local Cineplex are taking a winter break right now, a winter break that started about a year ago. And in their place, well, streaming services have no shortage of suggestions to keep us engaged as COVID still has many of us spending lots of time at home. One of the breakout shows the last couple months is WandaVision on Disney+. Hey everyone, Adam Holtz here, your host for The Plugged In Show. Focus on the family's weekly conversation about entertainment, pop culture, and technology. Thanks for joining us today. Once upon a time, hit sitcoms landed on network television and became weekly water cooler events. These days, they can land just about anywhere, but they still generate both an opportunity to escape and to talk about what happened on this week's episode. And we're going to be talking about both of those things today. A strange superhero show and the way sitcoms invite us to sit back and forget our problems for half an hour or so. Joining me for today's conversation are Emily Clark, Paul Azy, and Jonathan Thor McKee. <laughs> oh, I didn't know we were going with superhero names, but maybe next well, we time can have we go- talk we about can have goals, can't we? Jonathan, can we when I look at goals? you, I, I don't think Thor. I'm sorry. You, you don't have the you long don't... flowing locks. You don't think of Thor even in the last movie? <laughs> that, that Thor? <laughs> no, no. You're, you're more like skinny Thor. <laughs> skinny Thor. But we digress and we haven't even started. We, we can all have goals. Yeah, yes. Yes, superhero goals. Hashtag. What was your favorite sitcom when you were growing up? And Jonathan, lest you think my rules are too strict, it could be a regular sitcom that was airing on primetime or... Something already in syndication if you're really, really hankering to talk about Green Acres today. <laughs> I could sing, I, I could, uh, sing the theme song to Green Acres if Please you'd don't. like. Oh, man. I think Emily speaks for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's an easy question. I can, ask, I can answer that so easily because my brother and I loved me some Get Smart. Get and, Smart. Uh, oh, that's awesome. I mean, Get Smart was the best... Um, Agent 86, uh, the very hot Agent 99, and um, yeah, no, we 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 love that show. This and, is and not a we, confession time. I just want to make yeah, that. Really oh, clear. I'm sorry. And who is who is the agent that was always like in the garbage can or whatever? What was his number? I forget. But he was awesome. He would always pop up out of somewhere, and um, and you know his lines were always great. Like, oh, the old big black truck trick. So I mean, man, <laughs> there was there was. There was nothing better than Get Smart. I mean, it was, uh, you know, we loved Gilligan's Island. You know, we loved so many others, but Get Smart was it. You know, I'm just going to say Gilligan's Island. Yeah. I mean, when you think about my formative years before I developed taste in anything entertainment. Well, you make it sound like Gilligan's Island's a bad thing. And I I think that feels... (laughs) No, it feels like it a awesome. podcast in and of itself. No, I'm saying I loved it. I, I couldn't wait to get home from school, turn on the TV, flip on Gilligan's Island, watch Gilligan, the skipper to the millionaire and his wife. No, you're not singing the song. The movie star. Okay. The professor, professor and, and Marianne. Marianne. Oh, stop. Stop. Here on Gilligan's Island. Gilligan's Island. Sorry. It was it was great. I really enjoyed it. I I so much wanted to make so many things out of bamboo after watching that show. <laughs> Unfortunately, oh. bamboo is not naturally occurring in Colorado. So. <laughs> it's true. The pretty, pine trees just don't don't operate the it's same way. Pretty difficult. Emily, what about you? My goodness. Um I'm gonna say either home improvement or boy meets world. Mm. We'll pick one. Why, well, why do I have to pick one? <laughs> I'm gonna push. I'm why pushing. do I have to pick one? Because it's because I'm 
because I'm the host and I'm asking you to. Oh, goodness. I'm going to go. Okay, I'll say Home Improvement because I actually remember watching that one as a child. I think Boy Meets World is more of like, I think I actually watched that more closer to my college years and just remember it it, for some reason associated that with my childhood but I'm gonna go with home improvement because I actually remember watching that as a kid because my dad liked watching it all right well I think that's an excellent choice as for my own choice it's now story time with Adam back in Iowa you know I often talk about my childhood (laughs) in Iowa and (laughs) we know it we know when I would come home from school I wouldn't come home from school. I would stop at my grandmother's, who was halfway between school and home. Because it's a long walk. After a half a mile walk, I needed a break before the next half mile. (laughs) And I would have a bowl of split pea soup and two Pop-Tarts, and I would sit and watch Hogan's Heroes after school every day. Loved Hogan's Heroes. So I don't know that it was my favorite show, but as I thought about my own question, that was the show that I watched. And, you know... Schultz with, I see nothing, I hear nothing, (laughs) I know nothing, I know nothing. I just, what a dumb show, but it worked for me, you know? And with Pop-Tarts and Split Pea, almost anything feels good. Well, and it's interesting to me that you still eat a lot of Split Pea soup, right? I do. You know, and I think that- that, Yeah, another podcast. (laughs) (laughs) If we had a food podcast. Mm -hmm. But I do think it speaks to the comfort that sitcoms bring, right? You have comfort food, comfort entertainment. Yeah, and I wonder if for a lot of us, and we'll get into this a little more, when we watch our favorite show, it really is that kind of holistic experience. You know, we get our spot on the couch or we kick a child off because (laughs) they have taken joyful delight in taking our spot or we have to move the dog and we get, you know, something a little munchy, maybe a blanket and we settle in. Makes me sound like Mr. Rogers. <laughs> I think I'm speaking the truth. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Okay, that's I appreciate that affirmation, even though I've already been hard on you a couple of times today. Yeah. So I have <laughs> I to walk it. that back. Well, every now and then a new show comes along and I think manages to suck up all of the publicity air in the atmosphere. And these are shows that sometimes they kind of come out of nowhere, you know? And then one day you walk in and everybody's talking and buzzing about it. it. And for a moment or two, these days it doesn't seem to last very long, it becomes a part of the cultural zeitgeist. And I think it's fair to say that WandaVision um, has quickly become one of those shows, well, at least among Marvel fans anyway. <laughs> but I think it's safe to say it's unlike any kind of superhero story we've ever seen before. And I suspect it's drawn in some folks who maybe weren't Marvel geeks to start with just because it's so different. And so I want to talk about WandaVision and then move into a bigger conversation about how and why sitcoms offer us exactly the kind of comfort that we have been talking about, especially when life is tough out there in the real world like it continues to be right now. Okay, here, wait, go. WandaVision. Someone tell me what on earth is going on in this strange superhero story that seems to be disguising itself, at least in the first few episodes, as a sitcom from about 60 years ago. It's the strangest show I've seen in half a decade, I think, maybe more. Um, The way you set it up is, is almost all that we can say. (laughs) Okay. I I guess we'll move on to the second half of our conversation. It's it's really about two two of the the Avengers, Wanda and Vision, who had sort of a relationship throughout most of the Avengers movies. Vision died, sadly, at the end of Infinity War. Spoiler warning. 
Spoiler warning. The first Sorry. probably several today. <laughs> Ten-year-old ten spoiler warning. Right? Ten-year-old yeah. spoiler warning. And, and so all of a sudden they find themselves, Wanda and a strangely revived Vision, find themselves in this, this very bizarre um, world of sitcoms. Yeah. And it seems like it falls from, from decade to decade, age to age. It, it pulls in some of the sitcom influences from the 50s, 60s, 70s. And um, in, in Wanda and Vision are just living this very domestic, suburban life. Meanwhile, there's these mysteries going about. Both Wanda and Vision sort of understand that there's something amiss with this world. What exactly it is... We shall not go into here. Well, and what do we know about who Wanda and Vision are and what's happened to them before or at least in some sort of parallel universe this series starts? Well, I mean, Vision died. So the fact that he's alive here really Again, threw me. Warning. It took me a minute to figure out what was happening. Because I was like, wait, I thought, did he come back? What's happening? <laughs> it just It's still kind of confusing. What yeah. kind of contract does Paul Bettany have with the Marvel <laughs> Universe? It's just... Yeah, man, it's, it's, it's a good one. That, that, that thing is uh, written in gold ink. Um, I, I was thinking when you said that, though, both what Adam said and, Paul, what you said, kind of talking about um, you know, certain shows really become the water cooler discussion. And then, Paul, you said it's one of the most you know, strange shows you've ever seen. Um, it, it brings me back to the show Lost, um, not only because if you watch that show, you were literally lost, uh, but it was one of those shows that started off and seemed kind of like pretty normal, you know, it's your basic and, plane crash story. Yeah. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, On it just Gilligan's got, Island. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, it was Gilligan's Island, but no ginger. And um, it was one of those things where you kind of the, the, the more it went into it, the stranger it got. And. And if you talk about, you know, WandaVision, it just it gets again, you know, kind of spoiler warning and, you know, people will be caught up. But but, you know, we're going to we're going to talk about it a little bit today. So, you know, if, if you haven't watched it yet, hit the pause button, go back and catch up. Uh, but, you know, it is it does get stranger as it goes on and it starts to reveal these secrets from the past a little bit more. And it does actually make you want to hit the pause button and go back and rewatch and this is probably really good marketing because it makes you want to go rewatch the films to go, wait a second. Now, wait, was this before the snap, after the snap? Uh, wait, the pre-blip, uh, uh, you know, anyway, all that kind of stuff. So, Well, and, and, you know, speaking of marketing, it is good marketing. And this is sort of a parenthetical conversation. But if you let it play, unlike Netflix, which rolls automatically into the next episode, if you're on the current episode – it ends with an advertisement for Ultron. <laughs> so, so you're yeah, right in absolutely. that it definitely is wanting to locate the story. And just to rewind things a tiny bit, if you're not a Marvel super fan, Vision is an android. So if you happen to tune in and think, why is this guy red and robot looking? He's kind of a red robot. And, and Wanda uh, is, of course, Wanda Maximoff. Who is of course. the Scarlet Witch. Yes, of course. I say, of course, because I've been an Avengers super fan almost as long as I've been alive. Uh, I was introduced to the Avengers in 1977 from some neighbor kids, which just goes to show neighbor kids' influence can be pretty significant in our lives. Uh, but again, I digress, uh, taking the latest exit into Geekville off the uh, entertainment superhighway. So what elements do you think have suddenly made WandaVision what NBC used to call must-see TV? And we've touched on it a little bit, but let's unpack that a little bit more. I think it's just the fact that there's a mystery to be solved. Okay. 
I think the retro element, the fact that, I mean, it, you know, the first episode was, you know, leave it to beaver esque, you know, and the second episode, you know, then, you know, you, you get into what Brady bunch and what, you know, and well, actually it was bewitched then Brady bunch. I mean, I, I love that it's moving anybody who grew up watching those decades of TV. It was so spot on. I, I totally agree. I think that it, it hooks on that sense of nostalgia, that sense of fondness we have for these old, old sitcoms that, that a lot of us grew up with, uh, often in reruns. You mm-hmm. know, the, a lot of the references that they have in these shows are very familiar to me. But I also believe that there's a built-up need, <laughs> if you can call it that, for superhero content. I mean, for years and years and years and years. We haven't had enough. We haven't had, well, we've had like three or four Marvel superhero movies come out, big blockbusters um, that that a lot of us went to see. They were big movie events. We haven't had not only a superhero movie, but a big movie event for a year now. Yeah. And when you see these familiar characters on TV, I think for people who are invested in that world- it's like catnip. It just draws you in, and you have to find what's going on with these characters, especially with Vision. What? Why is he back? Well, and Paul, you and I were talking a little bit before we uh, hit the record button, and you made an interesting observation about how Hollywood sometimes gets criticized for not being very creative these days. And I, I wonder if in this sort of desert of the coronavirus – if it's awakened a kind of creativity, like they can't just hit the reboot button. I'm answering my own question here. So <laughs> for those listening at home, pa- Paul is nodding uh, knowingly and wondering when I'm going to actually ask a question. But say more about that. <laughs> the Adam Holst podcast. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think that's absolutely right. When you have this this environment that we're in, where so many people are starved for entertainment, I think that it does spark some creativity. It encourages people to think outside the box. Now, I don't know when WandaVision was developed, but the idea that they take what many people would say have been these played out tropes, you know, the the traditional sitcom that people have been rebooting and rebooting and rebooting again for ad infinia, if that's a word, Right. You have the superhero stories that that people like like Scorsese would say have it's creatively bankrupt from the beginning. Right. Yeah. Says the guy who puts 400 F words in every one of his bankrupt (laughs) movies. But anyway, that's another podcast, too. You take these two forms that seem like they might be played out to some. You combine them and you create something entirely different. I find that fascinating. And it does show that when push comes to shove there is still some new stories to be told. Yeah, I think so. And And I I think that's a part of the draw here. Jonathan? Well, and it's kind of cool because so far it's been relatively family friendly. You know, the only other place you can get, you know, a superhero story like this at all is maybe HBO series, The Watchmen, you know, and and that's, you know, probably not family family content. Yeah, not family friendly. (laughs) So I like the fact that, you know, here's something that I think families so far can watch together and uh, and they've seen these movies together. They've, like you said, maybe attended those premieres. Our family, we went to 
two different midnight premieres for Marvel films. We went as a family. And I remember my youngest daughter at the time was still in high school. And she's like, can I go? Can I go? And we like let her go. But then she had to go to school the next morning. <laughs> Emily, sound familiar? Yeah, um, it does but, actually. <laughs> but, uh, but no, it was fun. And so it's like, I think it allows families to have something they can, you know, uh, enjoy together. Yeah, I mean, I think the first, especially the first two, maybe even three episodes are as clean as the shows that we would have seen in the 60s or 70s. I mean, one Almost. of the, one yeah, of the things... Yeah, really keeping in time with those shows, yeah, though. You know, one of the things we do at Plugged In is help you know what's happening with content and everything we review. And I mean, they've each got one or two mild profanities and just a tiny bit of innuendo that parents will catch that I think will sail right over kids' heads. And as we record this, we're roughly halfway through the first season. So we don't know what's going to happen from here. Uh, I think it's safe to say there are some hints that things may get a little bit darker. Uh, So I don't know that it's going to continue to have that totally squeaky clean feel to it. And as it goes on, it's supposedly going to move into newer sitcoms, right? And the content gets harsher the newer they get. So that's that's always something the parents should be aware of. Yeah, I think it's definitely going to get darker. But then again, I don't know. It's it's kind of strange because there's an episode early on where they see this guy come out of the sewers and he looks scary. And I thought for sure, there's our villain. There he is. But then like later on, we find out he's just a beekeeper. He's literally just a beekeeper. And I was like, (laughs) that is not what I was expecting at all. And so, I mean, like there are some things that like, I think appearances are going to be deceiving throughout the rest of the show, to be honest. What's the movie phrase for things that are intentionally deceptive? Is it red herring? Correct. You know, we think that we know what's happening and then there's a misdirection play. And Jonathan, I agree with what you said earlier. It reminds me in a in a broad sense of lost. Like there's a mystery being unfolded here that I don't know where this is going. And I think that certainly keeps me engaged as a viewer and as a fan. I totally agree with that as well. One of the things that surprised me is how well it works as a sitcom. Goodness gracious. I want to see Elizabeth Olsen in... Like an actual sitcom. No, she's <laughs> I want to see whole seasons of the whole bewitched type of vibe, you know? It will be interesting to see, though, because, I mean, m- most of viewers that are caught up, if you remember back in episode four, it kind of started to steer from that. So you wonder, is it, are we going to lose the sitcom or are we going to still have this one life of what, you know, th- this, this pretend life of the way we want it to be so we can still see those sitcom elements? Or is it going to be like back in episode four, which was pretty well mostly just dark? <laughs> I think it's going to go back and forth. I think it is too. I think that they have established it and we had this sort of parenthetical moment. But boy, this is the point, right? I mean, it's fun to speculate about what's going to happen. You know, you, you sit around the water cooler. Never mind. I don't know any workplace that actually has a water cooler. <laughs> but, you know, we all have bottled it water. It is a trope know, where that, is that this endures. Water cooler? Yeah, where is this water cooler? <laughs> what's going to happen? And so I think they've done a great job of, of capturing and sparking that, that sense of mystery. Paul, you recently wrote a blog for Plugged In titled, and this is a mouthful of a title. I'm just going to say that. What WandaVision tells us about our own alternate realities. Until I read this article, I didn't know that I had an alternate reality. But <laughs> so I was thankful that you were telling me about it. But in this, you talk about why sitcoms can be especially appealing to us when times are tough. What is it that makes shows that we know aren't even close to reality 
so comforting when we're facing difficulty in the real world. And I'm not just talking about WandaVision. I'm talking about popular sitcoms in general at this point. Right. And and as we talked about some of our own favorite sitcoms, I think one of the things that they tend to have in common is that we watch them after a busy day, right? We come home from school after a difficult day of, of testing and friends and all this kind yeah. of stuff. We watch them at after work to, to unwind during the day. We slip into these alternate realities, not unlike what, what Wanda and Vision have done in a way. We mm. slip into these realities that comfort us. We yeah. know the characters. We're able to join with their lives. They don't challenge us with problems that we have to solve. They have to solve everything. Right. Yep. And mostly those problems are solved within a half an hour. So and it's neat and tidy. It's very neat. It's very tidy. It's very comforting. It makes when, you laugh. <laughs> when we talk about entertainment being comfort food, sitcoms, I think, are the ultimate comfort food in a lot of ways. Well, here's my next question. Where do you think the line is between healthy escapism and something that becomes unhealthy? Like, where does vegging out and just wanting to chill with something fun become something that maybe is problematic and the second part of my two-part question is, how do you think we can help our kids learn to discern when they're perhaps crossing that line as well? Well, I mean, for, for starters, just look at what Wanda's doing. That, I think, crosses the unhealthy <laughs> barrier. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no, I, I, in reality, I think that when you are more focused on watching the show than you then say in speaking directly towards kids when your kid is more focused on watching the show than doing their homework than hanging out with their friends than playing a sport than you know doing literally anything else if they are just absorbed with the tv obvious that's like an obvious you know warning sign but i think that I think that when you start basing your own reality on what's happening in the show, and what I mean by that is I, um, I'm i specifically thinking of a friend who said that her idea of love was very distorted just because she was basing it on mm -hmm. the movies, what movies and TV shows had yep. told her about it her entire life. So when she experienced it for the first time in reality, it was very different. It was much more difficult. And yeah. There's a big difference between we, – we call this escapist TV, right? Mm -hmm. But I think there's a difference between a retreat and an escape. All right. Define. Some people use entertainment, specifically television, to retreat for a time. It becomes a little bit of a half an hour vacation okay. that you need to decompress. Sometimes for many of us, it can become an escape where we, like Emily says, we avoid what the real world is throwing at us because we just can't deal with it. Yep. And that's where I think it becomes a huge problem. Now, that's beside all the content problems that we sometimes right. talk about, obviously. But, but when it comes down to a core level, that escapist instinct is can be troubling. Well, and that's where... Emily's little aside comment is actually so much so true uh, that that's exactly what Wanda's doing and what a, what a great analogy and uh, probably one we might be able to use for you know for some focus articles here because it seems that what she is doing is she can't deal with reality she can't deal with the pain of life and so she's creating this own little fun escape to use Paul's word 
to not deal with the the hard truths of life. And sadly, for a lot of young people, that's exactly what social media becomes. That's what um, video games can become. That's what, you know, things that can be healthy when uh, in small doses and uh, used in healthy ways can also be something that draws you away from the realities of life. And we need to watch for that. We need to be careful. And that, that has to do with screen time and, and being able to you know, monitor and, and make sure that our kids aren't spending too much time in their bedrooms with the door closed hour after hours uh, escaping on some social media site. We've got to be careful of that kind of escape. You know, I also just think about the fact that the sitcoms are usually presenting an idyllic uh, universe, you know, where, I mean, just think about any number of sitcoms you've watched where these 20-something-year-olds are living in these big cities <laughs> in these huge apartments and they're yeah, exactly. waitresses. And I'm like, that's not possible. You can't sit there and make less than minimum wage and live in an apartment that big in New York City. Even with three of you in the same apartment. (laughs) Even with three of you in the same apartment, you are not making your bill. Sorry, sweetie. You know, so it's presenting this perfect universe. And so and I think it's it's very dangerous because you sit there and you become an adult or you start you enter your teenage years and you're like, wow, this life really isn't, you know, perfect like this. So I think sometimes we will watch those sitcoms because we're like, you know what? I just want to pretend for a minute that my life could be like this, which I think is exactly what Wanda is doing. She wants to pretend for a minute that her life could be where, you know, she is married to Vision and they have a family together. Yeah, that's. I think that's exactly right, Emily. And I think I want to play not devil's advocate, but I want to riff off what you were saying I think the most successful sitcoms are successful ultimately not because of their humor, not necessarily because of the plot lines, because the plot lines are all rehashed every week. Usually it's, you know, something involving deception. Somebody does something or finds out something that they don't want one of the other characters to know about. It's amazing, actually, how many sitcoms revolve around deception as a plot point. And I don't like deception, which probably explains why I don't really dig sitcoms very much but i think i think the ones that have resonance have resonance because of the relationships and i think you know we're sort of alluding to friends uh <laughs> with the apartment in new york city working at the i'm pretty sure I, I'm that's pretty what sure you're that's talking not about. even the only one that does <laughs> no. that i mean they rehash it every few years where you know they've got these poor poor people living together in these ap- grand apartments i mean how i met your mother does that yep. big bang theory kind of does that there's a lot but i think despite the fact that i would say Almost all of those sitcoms have worldview and content issues. Yep. I think that we're drawn to them not because of slightly naughty jokes. We're drawn because of the relationships that the characters have. Yeah, exactly. And I think that there was something about those six friends' relationships that at the in the best of the moments on that series, they're there for each other. You know, I'll be there for you. It's in the theme song. They know each other. They love each other. For the most part, eventually they forgive each other, even if it takes a while sometimes. And those are things that we long for. I go back to to, uh, Cheers. You know, again, another great theme song where everybody knows your name. Yep. We long for that connection. We long for for that relationship, even with with characters that aren't truly real. Yeah. Right. And when you're talking about the COVID era, 
we long for those relationships even more, more than yeah. ever because we can't see our real friends. We can't see our real family as much as we used to. And so we gravitate toward these fictional characters that become our friends. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And, you know, it's funny. I think the more things change and certainly things are changing, you know, it used to be you had to wait, you know, a week between episodes or you know, a whole season to find out who shot JR, you know, back in the day. Um, and now Netflix gives us entire seasons that we can binge all at once. And that might be a worthy <laughs> conversation for another time about how that has influenced our relationship with TV. But uh, the reality is that even as things change in terms of how we're consuming these things, I think there's a lot and maybe even more that stays the same. I guess it's, you know, almost back to the future if I can pull another entertainment <laughs> trope in from back in the day. There we go. Even as streaming options and the kinds of stories we're engaging with on TV change, a show like WandaVision suggests that we still have that longing for nostalgia, for mystery, for characters that we can relate to. And, and I think it's succeeding because it brings all of those things together in a creative oh, yeah. stew that... It's pretty engaging, um, you know, but just as Wanda and Vision are discovering, sometimes that longing runs headfirst into harsh realities. And what I hope for today's conversation is that it's given you something to think about with regard to your own TV habits and those of your families. What do you like to watch? Why do you think you're drawn to those stories? What is it about that story that grabs you. If, if Kristen was here, she would be talking about This Is Us like right, right now. Uh, and that's oh, yeah. a story. It's not a sitcom, but it's one that has connected with so many people. And at what point does a television habit become unhealthy for you, either in the amount of time you're spending with it, or is it providing an escape that, that pushes over some sort of threshold in terms of its perspective that isn't good for you? If you have thoughts about any of these questions, we would love to hear from you. So let us know on Facebook or Instagram or shoot us a, an email at team at the pluggedinshow.com. And, you know, there's so much TV out there these days. It used to be, you know, you had a handful of sitcoms on three networks and now you have more than a handful of streaming outlets with hundreds of shows. If there's something interesting out there that you have been to, you know, check out Plugged In to see if we have reviewed in our TV section, but we haven't, shoot us a message and let us know because we would love to hear what you're interested in hearing us review. Well, as always, we hope the Plugged In show has been a catalyst for you to go deeper in your own thinking about popular culture, your entertainment habits, and how those choices potentially influence your faith and worldview and that of your family. So as a thank you for being a part of the Plugged In Show family, today for a gift of any amount, we would also love to send you a copy of our very own Paul Acey's book, Burning Bush 2.0, How Pop Culture Replaced the Prophet. And if you like what Paul has to say on this show, you're going to love his book because it's just more of that. Buy some for everyone in your family. <laughs> and you'll find a link to order that book, as well as links to everything else we have talked about here today in our plugged-in blog entry for this week's episode. On behalf of our entire team, I want to say thanks so much for listening today, and we look forward to connecting with you again next week for another episode of The Plugged-In Show. Plugged-In Show.